Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We, as you know, are finishing Deuteronomy because Simchas Torah is coming. So we're finishing Deuteronomy. We're beginning Genesis at Simchas Torah. The tradition is never to be between books of Torah, God forbid. We're never not in a book of Torah. So the practice at uh, Simchas Torah is to read the last lines of Deuteronomy and immediately begin the first lines of Genesis. So you don't say, oh, well, we're done with Deuteronomy next week. We start. <clears throat> we finish Deuteronomy. We begin Genesis so that we're never between books of Torah. We never take a break. God forbid. So we um, that will be on Simchat Torah. So the last portion of Deuteronomy is read on Simchat Torah, not on Shabbat. So we never study it in this room because we're never together on Simchat Torah studying Torah. Where, what Torah portion are we studying now? If we're not studying Vizot Bracha and we did Ha'azinu last week, what are we supposed to study right now? Ah, good Pam Witt, gold star. We are... In Chol Hamoed Sukkot, we are in the days that are not Yom Tov of Sukkot. And we call those days Chol Hamoed, Chol meaning regular, Moed meaning season, meaning an appointed season, an appointed holy time. So we are in the regular days of the holy time. So Chol Hamoed, and on Chol Hamoed Sukkot, there's always a Shabbat in Sukkot because Sukkot is eight days or seven days, whatever. Um, and so outside of Israel, it's eight days. So um, there's always a Shabbat. And so we always read the same Torah portion on the Shabbat of Sukkot. And so that's why our reading is completely out of order from where we've been going on the lectionary. All right. So now you're going to ask, well, what is the Chol HaMoed reading for Sukkot, Rabbi? Pinchas Mapitom. No, you're, you're looking up a different day of Chol HaMoed. We're studying Shabbat. We're studying what we read tomorrow in Shul. Yes, they do. It's Kitisa. Where are you looking, Dana? Ah, on a Shabbat? It's always Kitisa on Shabbat. I hate to blow up your uh, children's <laughs> experience of Bar Mitzvah, but it is always Parshat Kitisa. Why? Because Kitisa, a, a section of the assigned reading for this for tomorrow for Shabbat, which we read together in our Torah study on Friday, because there is a reading for today, but we're not doing that. We're doing tomorrow's. Um, is always it includes the festival calendar. It is the portion assigned to Sukkot, Pesach, to, you know, to the Chol Hamoed uh, Shabbat of all those festivals. That's what we read is this thing. So those of us who engage with every week uh, this Torah study read this portion at least four times a year. Because we read it on the Shalosh Regalim, the three festivals on Cholamoed, you know, on that Shabbat. And we read it in its regular place in the lectionary, Kitisa. So we read this section four times a year, um, which makes it challenging for your teacher to make this riveting for you. Um, Mark, that laugh was way too, like, quick and instinctive. Okay. Shavuos, Sukkot, and Pesach. So the three pilgrimage festivals and in its regular place when we're reading Exodus. So we are in Parsha Kitisa, 
Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning on the holiday festival calendar part of the reading because that's not what is interesting to me right now, right? Because we encounter this four times a year. I have to figure out, okay, what is it right now that is compelling? Um, Y'all know who have been studying with me for a long time. This is one of my favorite uh, Parshiot, one of the favorite, not even the Parsha, just this this part of it is one of my favorite um, in Torah. We're not supposed to have favorites, but... We do. It's like children, right? You know, you're not supposed to have a favorite, but people do. Now it may shift, right, who your favorite child is. But we are in Exodus 33. So y'all with your Bibles, get there. So um, those of you with the green Bibles, you are looking at the women's Torah commentary. Um, The text is JPS, the Jewish Publication Society original translation. So it's a huge amount of work, as you can imagine, to translate the Bible into English. It's a huge amount of work. So um, so generally people don't do that. So the women's Torah commentary, that's why it's called that, because it's the commentary that is done by women. The text is the JPS text. Um, and so what you have in the green book are uh, commentaries below the line and at the end of each Parsha, you have beautiful poetry and commentary and thoughts and insights by uh, women scholars and poets that they have asked to contribute to the volume. Uh, And I see most of you have the green book. So feel free to look below the line. Feel free to peruse all of that. I I did. I got it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. So so what's happening right now? So Moshe has gotten the tablets, right? God says to Moshe, carve a set of tablets and bring them up to the mountain. And then God, with the finger of God, they are written. The rabbis talk a lot about what that means. Um, there's one that says it's a miracle. The, the text goes through the stone, but you could read the text no matter which way the tablets went. Nifty. Um, so they, whatever it is, it is miraculously written but with the finger of God. And um, then Moshe comes, and then God says to Moshe, you better get down there because the people you brought up from Egypt are messing up. And Moshe says, Mapitom, what do you mean the people I brought up from Egypt? <laughs> right? So, so Moshe goes down and under, sees what's happening. He hears this big noise. He doesn't know what's happening. It could be war. It could be something because there's a huge you know, amount of noise coming from the camp. Moshe goes down, and of course the people are worshiping at the feet of the Ego HaZahav, the golden calf, uh, and Moshe smashes those amazing tablets. There's lots of commentary on is that a good thing or a bad thing. Interestingly enough, for the rabbis, in general, it's a good thing. And there's even a tradition where God says to Moshe, these ta- tablets, Asher Shibarta, that you broke, they said, don't read Asher, read Yashar. That God is saying to Moshe, Yashar Koach, Sheshibarta. Good job that you smashed them. And then you'll have to go look at, or I'll bring it another year, lots of commentary about why is it a good thing that Moshe smashes these tablets. So um, so Moshe smashes the tablets, and then they're, it's horrible, right, what's happening. And so Moshe prays for the people, in, intercedes with God to have the people forgiven. There's a plague that breaks out against some of the folks who were ringleaders in this. And then um, God forgives the people and says to Moshe, now you carve two sets. You carve two tablets. I did the first one, so we saw what happened with that. 
So now you carve the second set, bring them up here, and God agrees to renew the deal and write on those tablets. Yes, David. Okay. I'm like, microphone's going already. I'm like, we haven't even started reading. So, uh, okay. So, so then Moshe goes back up with the, with the tablets that he has carved, uh, and, and gets forgiveness for the people, um, from God. So then there's this odd scene after that where it's like, again, we have this, this stuff going on about, about Moshe wanting reassurance. So it doesn't seem enough for Moshe that God forgives the people because we get this. God's already forgiven the people. Moshe brings a new set of tablets up. So this is an interesting scene. So I want you to think about what's going on. We just take it for granted. We always read it and just take it for granted. But you know, that's not what we do in here. So why, why does Moshe need this? What's happening for Moshe? God's forgiven them. We're getting a new set of tablets. What's going on with Moshe right now, right? What's eating Moshe Rabbeinu? Let's look at the text. So we're at verse 12. Vayomer Moshe el Adonai. Now this is a little chutzpadik that Moshe says to God, look. All right. So we're at verse 12 of chapter 33. Moshe says to God, look it, as Rebecca Surratt of our wonderful staff would say, look it. You say to me, lead this people forward, but you've not made known to me whom you will send with me. Further, you have said, I have singled you out by name, and you have indeed gained my favor. So Moshe's quoting God to God. All right? So look, God, you're telling me to lead these people, but you haven't told me who's going with me to help take care of business. And you said, I've singled you out by name, and you have indeed gained my favor. Why is Moshe quoting God to God? Let's see. Now, if I have truly gained your favor, pray let me know your ways, that I may know you and continue in your favor. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. All right, so what's up with Moshe? He's, he, right, Mark is like, okay, we, we got to analyze this guy, right? So he, he's gotten what he wants. What is happening? Moshe's like now quoting to God. Okay, you said lead these people forward, but you've not told me he's going with me. Number one, look it, number one. Number two, you said I've gained your favor. Okay, well, if that's true, then what? Then show me your ways that I may know you and continue in your favor, Okay, so a request for some kind of new knowledge of God that Moshe hasn't had until now. What does this mean? Show me your ways. We don't know, right? We're not told. Show me your ways that I may have some kind of what? Way of guaranteeing that I can stay in your favor? Okay, period. So the end of that thought. And then what's the next thought? Um, also, consider... This is your people. So what's that? Where is that coming from? Your daughter, right, has, but that's all done. So on some level, part of the commentary is a big question about what's up with Moshe here? 
it seems that God's already forgiven them. He's got a new set of tablets, Moshe, and is going up the mountain. What is this about? <laughs> what is going on with Moshe Rabbeinu? All right. So now God has a couple of options about how to respond. Look, you cheeky prophet is one way to respond to this. That does not seem what God does. So does God get mad? Does, is God frustrated? Is God impatient? Let's see. What does God say? Vayomer, panai yelechu bahani I will go in the lead and I will lighten your burden. All right. So clearly God is not upset with Moshe, whatever's going on with Moshe. God seems okay with it, right? I, I understand you're nervous. I understand you're anxious. We've had these kinds of conversations before. I'm going to go in the lead. Don't worry. All right, it's a very loving, compassionate, patient, caring response. Hmm? Well, whatever they are, God seems to understand that Moshe needs something, and God responds. So God's not upset by this. So Moshe gets this very gracious response from God. Okay, wouldn't you be going, you know, at this point, right? Is that where Moshe Rabbeinu leaves it? No, because this is a story written by whom? Jews. Did someone say men? (laughs) Jews. This is written by Jews. So does Moshe just leave it there and say, thank you, God. That's very considerate of you. I appreciate it. No. What does Moshe say? Well, unless you do go in the lead, do not make us leave this place. So Moshe responds, essentially, see that you do. Okay. Otherwise, so Moshe goes on, how shall it be known that your people have gained your favor unless you go with us so that we may be distinguished, your people and I, from every people on the face of the earth? Moshe is pushing it, we might imagine. Is God ready to lose God's cool now? Let's see. And God says to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have asked, for you have truly gained my favor, and I have singled you out by name. All right? God is still incredibly patient, incredibly calm, seems to get that Moshe is needy right now and is ready to give Moshe what Moshe needs. Okay? Beautiful. Vayomer, and this is now Moshe. Harenina et kvodecha. So Moshe says, "Show me your kavod. Show me your presence, glory, essence. Show me." What does God answer? And God answered, "Anim aavir kol tu vi alpanecha." Okay, a very enigmatic answer. So God answers, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name yud and the grace that I grant, and the compassion that I show. Um, not, not a great literal translation. Barry, do you want to take a stab at translating that last part of the verse into directly into English? Like literally? Let's see. Um, yeah, it's it's like it's like a longer version of uh, a yeah, sure, yeah. 
I will be whatever I will be. So Barry is suggesting this goes back to God saying to Moshe when Moshe says, what's your name? Um, (laughs) Lovely, lovely. He's been paying attention all these years to to his many teachers. So, um, right. So Moshe says to God at one point, who am I going to say sent me? Right. When God when God commissions Moshe, Moshe says, who am I going to tell them sent me? What's your name? You need a name of a God. In the pagan world, you need to know which one you're working for. So Moshe says, who am I going to say sent me? And what does God answer? Eyeh, asher, eyeh. I will be what I will be. Tell them, eyeh, I will be sent you. So Barry is saying what many of the commentators say, which is, is that an answer? That answer is none of your beeswax. That's one way to interpret that answer. Another way to interpret that answer is you're asking the wrong question. All right. So, so he's suggesting here that God is giving kind of a, another sort of answer like that because it's, it's, it's not an answer really. Show me your essence. What does God answer? God doesn't say, okay, or let me think about it, or maybe next Thursday, or you know what? Let's let this sit for a bit. I'll get back to you. What does God answer? I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name yud heh vav And then this bizarre formulation in Hebrew, vachanoti et asher achon. I will mercify that which I will mercify. Or chen here is grace. I will gracify that which I grace. And I will mercify that which I mercy. What is that? Okay. And by the way, there is no answer for what is that. Like, I mean, there's a million answers in the commentary, but I'm telling you, like, there, that as tangled as that sounded in English, that's how it sounds in Hebrew. It just isn't, it's like, okay. But that's not what's being shown in front of Moshe. That is not what it says. It says, I will gracify that which I will grace, and I will mercify that which I mercy. That does not say goodness and mercy will pass before you. My goodness will pass before you. And how do, but we see that goodness through the acts of people. So, in, I mean, God is saying, I will show mercy on what I'll show mercy. I'll show grace on what I show grace. What does that have to do with show me your essence? It doesn't say I am grace. I'm filled with grace. I manifest grace through other people. That's not what it says. I will have mercy on that which I have mercy on. I will gracify that which I gracify. How is that show me your kavod? Well, I, I, it sort of follows to me the the fact that the stones, the, the tablets, are man-made now. So it's now not God handing down the word, but you, this word has to come from you now. But here it's I will give grace to what is, uh, you will see the essence of, you'll have to interpret what's grace by my actions. And you'll have to interpret, this is like an ongoing, this is going to have to be an ongoing conversation of what is mercy, what is grace. Um, that, that's, that, I mean, that seems to make good sense to me. So we're all interpreting yeah. what this means. What I want to stay with is the pshat. The simple answer is a not an answer. To Moshe's question. Moshe's request is show me your presence. Show me. This is God's answer. That is not an answer to Moshe's request. I hear God saying, I'm still in charge. I hear everybody explaining what God is saying. And we can go there. Not now. David? 
We're not going to interpret what this means right now. No, but I was... Um, I Unless was, we are. Sorry. No, no, I mean, I never get bored of this thing, so I'm good four times a year. Um, if you look at Moshe, he's been sort of used on a, you know what they say, like in these CIA movies, on a need-to-know basis. He's never given the big plan. It's like, just go and do this one plague, and then there's another plague, and he just gets worse and worse. And it's almost as if he's saying now, he doesn't like... Who's this, he? Uh, um, Moshe. Sorry. Okay. He's, he doesn't like this business of living in, in linear time. He wants, he, wants, he wants to know outside of time... What's the big picture? What's the? I, I want to know. I, I don't want to be stuck in this on this need to know basis. I want the big picture. Okay, but big the, picture need to know basis is still suggests time. Right, right. I want to know the big plan. Still has to do with time. No, no. But like he what's wants, coming? But he wants sort of an omniscient. I think an omniscient sense of of what the no, no, not a not a time bound. He doesn't want to be time bound. And God is basically saying. It, at least this is the way I see it. I am that I am. Like, you are time-bound. And what will happen will happen. Why are, wh- where are you getting time in here? Because he's, because he's, um, it's, it's, he never knows what's going to happen next. Right, but, but how does this show me your essence and God's answer? What does that have to do with events, time? God is saying, I'm going to mercify who okay, I so mercify. I, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking essence to mean, I want to know, I want to know what you know. Basically, I want to I want to see it from your point of view. So you're saying Moshe saying I want to see reality through the divine eyes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Either way, God didn't answer the question or the request, not the quest, the request until our next verse. Finally, Moshe gets some kind of an answer to the original request, which is. Lo lirot et panai, ki lo yirani ha'adam v'chai. So God says, you can't, lo tuchal, it's not possible to see my face. Because, or for, lo, as it's often translated, lo, um, ha'adam, the, an earthling, lo yirani, can't see me v'chai and live. This seems to be an answer directly to Moshe's request. Show me your kavod. God seems to interpret kavod as panai, my face. And God says, I lo ote panai. It's not possible to see my face. Why not? Key is an answer, right? Because cuz lo yirani adam bachai. A person can a person, a human cannot see me, your Ani, can't see me, Vachai, and live. All right. Rabbi? So this, this often is interpreted as if you encounter, if you see me, you will die. Those of you who have learned with me know that is not how I translate this. All right. Dana, do you have something? And then somebody at home had something. I don't think it's correct, this comment I made. I mean, I inferred that if you die, you get to see the face of God. Who said that? I'm in... Oh, 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 that's your interpretation. Is When you die, you can see the face of God, but not while you're alive. Okay. Barry? Uh, I think there's there's a problem with the question. It's like (laughs) if I ask you, please, Rabbi, show me time. What what do you mean? Well, uh, 
all you can see is time passing. You can see people get older. You can see uh, a mug of coffee or uh, it gets you know vaporized. You, you can't see time. So you're um, saying that Moshe's question already is a problem and that God is saying, if I can interpret what you're saying, that essentially Moshe, uh, God is saying, you can't see me. Like literally. Yeah. You, you can't. And like also, you can't see time. You can't see my love. You can't see certain things. It's impossible. Yes, but, is that what you're saying? Of course. But there is a power to the the face as an organ has a lot of power. For example, uh, I had this uh, debate with someone online. It got heated. But when we met in person, everything got softer. So uh, the, the face has, 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 has its own power um, that, that may be uh, God's face is too much power. Okay, so you will not be able to debate me like you do. You will not be able to to do the, these very human and good things you do as a prophet if you saw my face. Okay, wait, uh, the way but, but but wait. So which is it? Is it like time that you can't see time, or is it that if you saw time, that would be something? That's another thing. So is it that, that you can see it or you can't see it? I say I say both. <laughs> So if if you, you mutually can't see exclusive it, and if things, you could okay. see it, that would be bad. <laughs> okay, so let's. Uh, that's good. Okay, so let's hold that. You know, maybe what this is saying is a human can only go so far, and stop with the questions. Either you're on the bus or you're not. Either you get the glory or you don't. Choose how you want to live. All right. So maybe God is saying, Moshe, you're stepping really close to the line here. Humans can only go so far. Okay. So, oh, yes, I, George. I was just going to say. It seems to me Moses doesn't trust God in the beginning, right? He wants proof. And uh, this thing, you can't see my face, means that maybe we have different definitions of God. And uh, It doesn't say you can't see my face. That's Barry's interpretation, possibly. No. Well, you can't see my face behind and live. And live. And live. Yeah, that, I'm sorry. I, I left out that other part. Be very careful, that, George. So that you cannot define God uh, specifically and live, which allows then for the reconstruction of what God is or who God is. Or what Beautiful. God. Beautiful. So I read a commentary that said, you can't have a relationship with the divine unless there is still in place the possibility for doubt. Just sort of what you're saying. Like, it, if you get proof, you no longer believe in God. You no longer have, like, the, as long as it's indisputable, there's not a certain kind of relationship. There's a certain kind of relationship that is only in place as long as there's room for doubt. Okay, beautiful. Okay. Amy, Amy okay, I was, Rita. And then we're going to go on. Rita? Um, <clears throat> I was going to suggest that we've separated these two sentences, and they really are part of the same answer. Um, you will see my effect. You can only see my effect. You can't Not see. yet. Wait. You're jumping the gun for me, Rita. Hold that thought. Okay. Combining the two sentences that we just read. Well, anyway. I No, I'm going to suggest no. It's this sentence and the next sentence. The next sentences are going exactly where you're going. So don't, hang on, hang on. We can come back. 
to, to you after let's read this because I think you're right. But I think I think the next sentences get at that. And what are the next sentences? Vayomer Adonai. And so what does God go on to say? Because Rita's right. God hasn't stopped talking. Right? God's still talking. We interrupted God. Just going to say. Oh, only in this room. Right? Okay. So the Jews always are interrupting God. So God continues. Here is a place next to me. Remember Nitzavim? How we stand at attention, how we stand right. I'm going to do that to you, Moshe, in this place. I'm going to stand you, I'm going to erect you next to me. Al-Hatsul, on the rock. And it will be in the passing of my kavod. This is what Moshe asked to see. Now we're getting an answer. In the passing of my kavod, right? It's gonna, the, my kavod is gonna, avur, is gonna pass. But I will put you in a cleft in the rock. Um, and I will put my hand on you. Ad avri, until my passing. Vahasiroti et kapi. Viraita et achorai. Then I will take away my hand. Viraita et achorai. And you will see my wake. My afterward. People say the back of God's neck. It does not say that. My achorai. My behind. My back. My, I like to say afterwards. Ufanai lo yerau. But my face. You will not see. All right. It doesn't say you can't see my face. It says you can't see my face as a human. Vahai. And live. You're not going to see my face. Doesn't say you can't. It says you're not gonna. Because I love you. I want you to high. You're supposed to high. You're supposed to live. It doesn't say you will die. The text does not say that. I want to be um, uh, loyal to my word and and go back to read it in a second. Um, But it doesn't say you'll die. It says you can't live a human life if you confront the reality, the fullness of God. You will, by definition, be something else. You will be other than human. You will be superhuman. You will be, you will ascend in the language of Star Trek, you will ascend. You will be right. You'll, you'll be in another reality. Human beings, like Mark said, have limits. And if you exceed those limits, you cease to live a human life. And that is not the goal of Judaism. This is a critically important point for me. I love this about Torah. God says the answer is not for you to be with me. In some kind of, you know, we're now totally intimate and you have surpassed human limitations. That is not a goal. Even for Moshe Rabbeinu. Even for our greatest leader and the most intimate prophet of the divine. 
you are still a human being and you are supposed to live a human life. And that means there are limits on what I can show you. So what I can show you that you can then stay in a human life is what Rita said, my effect in the world. I will cause all my goodness to pass before you and my kavod will pass. I will shield you from that because I love you and I want you to stay a human being. And once it's passed, I will take away my hand, God says, and you will see my effect, my wake, because that is all a human being can ever see of the divine and remain a human being. Anything else blows the paradigm apart. Anything more than that blows the paradigm open. And God doesn't want that, says this text in my interpretation, that we can only ever as human beings see and recognize, oh, there was God in my life after God has passed through. We can't see it in the moment. We might experience some sense. You know, when you're on a boat and you go into some or skiing, water skiing. Oh, my God, it's terrifying. And you you cross into a boat's wake. Right. You have to jump the edge. Uh, clearly, this is not a water skiing crowd, but you have to jump the wake and not fall over. Right. And that, so you can feel the wake, but but you're not feeling the boat. You're feeling what what the boat caused in the water. So it doesn't mean we don't feel it, sense it, experience it. It's not the direct impact of the boat. Because if you felt the direct impact of the boat, you would no longer be an Adam that is high, a human that is alive. Right? Okay. Water skiing was what we call skiing in Texas. Right. That no other not, kind. That right? was not why I asked for the mic. Your use of the word godding, is very related to this because by Godding, we are seeing the effect of God without seeing God's face. Okay. Hannah? Thank you. So I'm new to this group, and I'm appreciating the um, getting the literal meaning first. Is it okay for me to bring my projection? Please, okay. please. That's all we do here is um, our projections. So uh, by, by profession, I'm a psychotherapist. Oh, here we go. Another um, one. I think, well, it's a very Jewish profession. It's a very Jewish profession. Yeah. I think we see within certain forms of mental illness what I might call evidence of this. Of people who have what they will describe as very divine experiences, reckoning with at least their interpretation of witnessing the divine, often are extremely destabilized and unable to engage in like human to human contact. Um, and I'm agnostic on whether that's literally true, but I think we see the results of that in the world. And given that this is written by humans, these humans also might have known people who they believed had more of a direct encounter with God. And what happened to those people? Well, I think that Not might so high. circle back and explain how destabilized Moses is at the start of the text. You know, he's nice. had a reckoning with God. Maybe he needs a little calming down afterwards. And, the, and that maybe even... The intense focus and the intense desire on that union is already a destabilized personality, and God at least knows not a good idea, right? 
Or at least that's the message of the humans who wrote this story. Because, again, those of us who don't believe this is a divine text, but a human text in in, in conversation with the d- d- divine, whatever that means. Um, these human beings who wrote this are saying, that is not that is not God's goal for us. That's not our belief about what our God wants from us. David? So how, how do you explain, then, the very last few verses of Deuteronomy and the same Hebrew? Face to face, face to face. Yep. What do you have to say about that? Yep. <laughs> so what does it mean? Well, he's not supposed to do. Not supposed to. Well, and yet, he can't do that. There anymore. it is. Oh, but he. But wait, wait. <laughs> That's it. Um, because because he was supposed to. He the 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 um, impression that it leaves is that he knew God face to face during his life. He didn't die and know God face to face. So all I all I can say is that I believe it's an idiomatic expression. That as intimate as a human could be and live, Moshe was with God. I mean that that it has to, unless you want to say it's contradicting itself, and you can say that too. But otherwise, it has to be an idiomatic expression, and this is not right. This is more literal, Mark. You know, it seems to me that one of the things this has to do with is the capacity for for belief as opposed to uh, perceptual certainty. Correct, uh, and that, which, uh, which is talk- what George was saying. Yeah, and that uh, what we're talking about in a sense is the ability to abstract and not to be caught in the mindlessness of concrete thought. That is a very interesting turn of phrase, the mindlessness of concrete thought. Wow. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to think about that for a while, um, but not in a concrete way. Um, but, you know, but the mindless concreteness of the pagans who prepared the pyramids for the dead and stuff like that, I was imagining how different this story is when you compare it to the other pagan gods. I mean, that's what that's what Moses is competing with. He's got to figure out a... Correct. You know, a, a, Plan, you know, commercial plan. How am I going to market this? So, well, but presumably that's that's already happened. His mission, how am I going to market this, has already happened. And on some level, that marketing campaign failed. Because what did the people just finish doing? Getting a concrete symbol of yud heh vav called a calf. So clearly... Moshe knows his campaign failed because the people needed the concreteness that we're just talking about. They needed a symbol. And remember, they say, let us make a chag to yud heh They are not worshiping an Egyptian god. They want a concrete symbol of, people argue, is it God or is it Moshe that they want a concrete symbol of? Remember, Moshe is gone. So either they want it to be about Moshe or God, it doesn't matter. They want a concrete something. And obviously our folks, to your point, the folks who wrote this and the big revolution of monotheism is not the number of gods, by the way. The fact that it's one and not seven doesn't matter. Monotheism is not about that. The big revolution of monotheism is exactly what you're saying. A move away from the concrete to the idea that God's true essence is something we cannot, I'm going to say comprehend, the text says encounter and high, right? In any case, all we can see is God's achorai, 
God's afterward and live a productive, stable, maybe human life. Um, and that is the big revolution. And I think this text is one of the core texts that speak to that, that it is not about a pyramid. It, right, it is not about preserving the dead body and being it, it, that, that's the whole point. You're right. It's a whole move away from that system. That is the big revolution of the Israelite contribution to the ancient Near East and its theology. Between God and Moses, kind of a dialogue, a debriefing. A dialogue and debriefing, you know, about what to do next. And ultimately, is is the cloud and the fire established after this meeting? They've been established. Oh, okay. They've been around. I mean, so we still got something. <laughs> well, we, we, right. But what, what God seems to be saying is that's going to have to be enough. Yes, the cloud's not me. Yes, the pillar of fire is not me. But that's all you get. As human beings, you, you can't have more that like a more direct encounter and high. But we still have concrete things. The Torah, the kissing of the Torah with the, sure. the t- wearing of the talus. Sure. All kinds. And especially, uh, I guess on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, I forget which, where the Torah is open and people come down and basically pray right before the Torah. Um, that's only here in the sanctuary. That is yes. nowhere else. We don't do that. We don't do that anywhere else. Well, yeah, but this is still is an <laughs> It's a quirk of KI. Really? Yes. No other Nobody else does, does that, no. Well, okay, again, showing the need of something concrete for this temple and the reconstruction. <laughs> right? So, um, I'm so, still right, whatever you say. Whatever you say, I'm still right. A very Jewish response. <laughs> to the rabbi. Okay, so... To, but to George's point, it doesn't say anywhere you can't have concrete relationships to things that represent me in your life. Nowhere does it say that. Nowhere. It's the image of God. That does not mean you can't have a physical thing with the words and the teachings that I give you on it. There's, it's tablets for crying out loud. I'm giving you tablets. It's the same as this. That's gonna, what are the tablets gonna go in? What are they gonna go in? The, the ark! This, this is not new! This is here! I'll give you the words! I'll give you the words! Physically, on tablets, you'll put them in the ark, that will be the center of the holy of holies, at the center of the center is what? Words, not an image. Not an idol, which is what is in the center of the center of the center of the holiest pagan worship sites is the niche in the wall in which they would put the image of the deity. This is exactly an argument against that. It doesn't mean we're not going to have physical relationships to those things that represent for us the teachings of our tradition because we are human and human beings need that. And God seems very much to understand that. David? I'm just saying a a crueler version of this conversation is the end of the book of Job, basically. Oh, God. Don't tell me we're going to Job. (laughs) Please. It's the same thing. It's like you don't, you you can't, don't, 
Okay, we won't go there. I can't stand Job. Okay, um, <laughs> Lee, did you want to say something? Did I see like you have a hand and move to that corner because you were talking? Yeah, we sort of moved away from the thing that I was going to connect to. But That's okay. I, I was just thinking about how it's interesting that this happens in a moment where it feels like Moses is is doubting himself or like it feels like he's at the end of his capacity at a leader as a leader and that there seems to be an implication of God sort of underlining that the Israelites need a human leader that like Moses having some sort of extra ability isn't actually going to make him a better leader in this moment. Um, nice. He sort of like needs that connection to humanness nice. and to limit. So uh, Lee, what I hear you saying to correct me if I'm wrong, what I hear you saying is Moshe seems to doubt his own, like, I need something more from you to really be your representative. Like, to really do this right, I need a different kind of experience of you than everybody else has. Or I'm not kind of legit as a leader. And that what I hear you saying, God is saying, is, nah, that's not how this works. You have to remain just you. And still figure out how to be the leader. Still dig deep and figure out. What gives you the capacity, the power, the energy, the trust, the confidence to lead these people? It ain't going to be because you get some special experience of me. That's not what makes a Jewish leader. Love that. Love that. That is a very Jewish answer. That is not what makes a Jewish leader. Is that they have some special experience beyond the normal human experience. I love that. I think you nailed it uh, as a leader. Uh, <laughs> but I want to ask you a question. Why are we talking about this as part of Sukkot before we? Okay, so so let's let's hold that question. Um, Can I just repeat to make sure I'm hearing you correctly? You made the statement that as a Jew, Jewish leader, uh huh, you cannot look to say you're going to get something divine from me to give you leadership, what you've got to do is dig down inside of you to get it. Is that what I'm hearing you say clearly? Well, that you, you, what makes you a Jewish leader is not that you have an exceptional, suprahuman experience of God. I'm not saying we don't draw on our connection to God to lead. Without it, I'd be lost, mm-hmm. whatever we mean by God. And you all know, I don't mean what everybody thinks I mean. So, Drawing on those things that I call godliness, trust, faith, transformation, healing, forgiveness, like compassion, right? All drawing on all of that, I have to draw on that to lead the Jews, God knows. But it's not, it's not an experience that is inaccessible to people who are not Jewish leaders. Okay. It's nothing special that therefore I'm a Jewish leader. Cause I have some special access. Everyone has access to the experience of the divine that I do. I'm not going to define it further than that. Why not? I think that... Because I think it's complicated. I don't think it's just a choice that I make. That's part of it. But I think it's also our experiences in early life. I think it's a capacity. I think it's our personality. I I didn't want to be a banker. I mean, is that just about choice? No, it's about a lot of things, right? There's a lot that goes into making us who we are. And some people who tend to more toward whatever. That's why, because it's a whole other conversation. And I want to go to this. So we're going to this. So look at your paper on page three. But now we don't have time to do everything I wanted to do. So we are going to jump to uh, page four. 
Dana, will you share with Lisa? Uh, there's an extra one over here if someone wants it. So emboldened by the restored connection with God after the golden calf incident, Moshe blurts out, says our commentator, Mark, Mark, Rabbi Mark Margolius, a memorably chutzpahdik request. Hareini na et kvodecha. Show me, please, your, your glory. In what may be the Torah's moment of deepest spiritual intimacy, God promises to reveal all of God's tuv, goodness, and the ineffable name yod heh vav heh, placing Moses um, in the crack of the rock, allowing Moses to view God's back, although not the divine face. God instructs Moshe to carve two new tablets, right, and ascends, and then what happens next is God, in a further explication of God's self, says the 13 attributes, right? As God's glory, as God's kavod or goodness passes by, what is proclaimed is the 13 attributes that we chant at the High Holy Days. Adonai, Adonai, el rachum Sorry, that's the melody used everywhere else in the world. What's the one that we use here? Adonai, Adonai, el Right, that one that Chaim does. Okay, that one. So um, that that is what gets proclaimed at this moment. Moses responds by prostrating himself and begging for forgiveness. This time, not only for the people, but for himself as well. If I've gained your favor, please go in our midst, even though this is a stiff-necked people, which we didn't read that text, but it's there. Pardon our iniquity in our sin and take us for your own. I hereby make a covenant, God responds, answering Moshe's confession, with a breach a covenant forged in the crucible of human failure and divine compassion. Mark, look what's here. Look, look, Mark, look what's here. This passage teaches that human brokenness reveals chesed, infinite compassion as the essence of the divine. From this point in the Jewish narrative, the relationship between God and Israel is sustained by chesed, compassion that need neither be earned nor justified. While this teaching applies generally, it is particularly significant for Moshe, who shatters the tablets at the site of the golden calf, even though we had just defended the same people and solicited God's pardon. In shattering the tablets and standing in the crack of a boulder, Moshe discovers that his broken self requires chesed as much as his people, and that he must cultivate his own capacity for chesed to guide them through the wilderness. In the gap, Moshe discerns the fundamental spiritual truth that brokenness abides in creation, (coughs) in nature, even in each of God's creatures, even in himself, and that we find the sacred not by judging that brokenness harshly, but by noticing how the fractures both elicit and reveal chesed, compassion. So to Mark's question, what is the tie between Sukkot and this Text, we have just come off of Yom Kippur, where it's all about there's a fracture in the relationship between us and our ideals. Our ideals that we tie, if we're religious people, if we're spiritual people, we tie that to godliness. We're trying always as spiritual human beings to be more godly. When I fail those ideals to live a life of holiness and goodness, which we tie to the divine, that, or to that, that's what the divine is, right? For a lot of us. Then 
then we fail that there's a there's a breaking of that relationship there's a breaking of my own commitment there's a break there's breakage because we're broken so that's yom kippur yom kippur says that's okay duh you're broken you're human so was moshe so and this is what margolius is pulling out of this is moshe still needed more from god after god forgave the people margolius is suggesting some of this text is about moshe getting it that moshe's limited which we hit on in here moshe's needing something else moshe realizes moshe's limitations moshe's brokenness and needs something else and god says my answer is a covenant that is the answer and Sukkot is about remembering our fragility even after being forgiven even after coming out of Yom Kippur where do we go live in the Sukkah in the fragile open delicate Sukkah that reminds us that we are dependent we have to be able to see the heavens through the schach through the roof or it's not a kosher Sukkah we are dependent on stuff bigger and in some ways outside way outside of our control we're not in the sukkah today because of the heavens because it's raining out there it's very cold so right we're we're dependent we're infected by we're impacted by things way beyond our control and that's something like judas just said to celebrate we want to deny particularly as americans in the industrialized first world we want to deny that we're broken because then I'm strong and I'm independent and not, you know all the things that we Americans are supposed to be like that is not Jewish the Jewish answer is we recognize our brokenness we address it we try to figure out how we can have that not be damaging to ourselves and others all through Yom Kippur then we get reminded that also our brokenness is a cause for celebration our vulnerability our fragility our how do we do that? We don't go sit in the sukkah by ourselves and meditate. That's not the practice. The practice is to be together in the sukkah because that's how we celebrate the fact that we are broken, that we are fragile, that we are busted open by that is we have the capacity out of that to need each other, to want each other, to do this together. That's the point. And that is worthy, says our tradition of celebration. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.